Welcome, one and all, to Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Telling frequencies are open. For the flock. Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 307, A Mathematically Perfect Redemption comes to you now via straw and parasite water. Pete, uh, quite a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. Uh, our own Fantastic Geek news here uh, is, of course, that the She-Hulk podcast that we've been doing, it has covered episodes one through eight ahead of this upcoming Friday's season slash series, question mark, finale. Over on the Andor podcast, we're counting down, presumably, to Wednesday's big mid-season train robbery, unless they delay it again. Uh, and then uh, tomorrow, we'll be talking Werewolf by Night, where Pete, among other things, I learned that I don't always naturally know how to spell the word werewolf until I had to write it a bunch <laughs> of times for Werewolf by Night. A lot of fun, busy, of course. But Matt, going on this weekend, not terribly far from here, New York Comic Con. Indeed, the Star Trek Universe panel was yesterday. And first of all, Pete, let me say this. I know that we have taken Star Trek PR to task uh, over the years. And I know that even the, a great PR job doesn't necessarily have great PR bounce or great coverage and deadline Hollywood Reporter and Variety and so forth. A lot of great New York Comic Con coverage uh, has come out this weekend in those uh, publications Maybe not, you know, paragraphs and paragraphs of it, but similarly, there was a lot of great Star Trek coverage yesterday. So I guess Pete, they're, they're those PR people are getting better with their what they're doing. Uh, and of course, the first bit of info chronologically, as well as the first uh, mini portion of the Star Trek Universe panel, uh, was the Picard panel and its trailer. Yes, and we finally have. Some further particulars, Matt. Uh, we have our villain for season three, teased before as female, not a previous character, and someone we knew, played here by uh, Amanda Plummer, uh, probably most well-known from Pulp Fiction uh, as Honey Bunny. Oh, I saw the Pulp Fiction thing. I did not know. My Pete, I guess time goes by for us all. Um, I have to say, Pete, the the only regret, Pete, that I have that we were not at New York Comic Con uh, for the Star Trek Universe panel was the way in which the Picard Season 3 trailer ended. Great double end here. The Moriarty reveal. And then, look, it's Brent Spiner. And they you have Jordy saying, it's lore. I can only imagine that that absolutely was the high point of the entire Star Trek Universe panel. Those two great reveals. Um, the one, I have to admit, Pete, a big surprise. I never thought we'd see Moriarty again in uh, in Star Trek. The other one, Pete, I guess when it comes to lore, I shouldn't be surprised. But wait, some people told me uh, things and I now I am surprised. We were expressly told by Star Trek people, among them uh, showrunner for seasons two and three, Terry Matalas, no lore. And now Brent Spiner 
playing lore. So I don't know if that's been walked back like, oh, no, he's not the villain or what have you. Happy to have him. Just seemed shocking to me when I saw that, like, oh, it's the guy they said wasn't in this. Okay, like, Khan? <laughs> um, you know what, Pete? I think we'll take we'll take Brent Spiner any way we can get him. Certainly, yeah. What, no, I'm I'm pumped for it. Just don't <laughs> don't, don't lie about it. In it when they're in it. <laughs> well, I'll let Pete uh, listen. Find another way to say it. <laughs> no let problem. me just propose the smallest little possibility of a theory here. We don't have anybody on camera saying it's lore. Like it it seemed to be edited in. So. Maybe it's a fake out. I don't know. Maybe the fake out continues. I uh, probably not, because that will, if nothing else, that fake out would then be confusing. But it's, uh, I guess, time will tell. Pete, we wait until February sixteenth to know uh, to know how the season starts to end. But let's talk about the on again, off again, on again Star Trek Discovery portion of the Star Trek Universe panel. Yes, Anika Martin-Green joined up on the big screen there, was not able to attend in person and so forth. Uh, in person were Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz, uh, and though the Discovery trailer did not suggest a major threat, i.e., you know, it's this lady with a mysterious ship as we got for Picard Season 2. The best example is to run and fire everything. Pete, we got some new folks introduced here, and I think that there still is a mystery to this new season of Discovery, but I'm kind of, look, this is not me throwing shade at Discovery, but I'm happy to hear that this trailer, at least, was not like, here's the latest thing, which is a threat to the universe again. Uh, the box thing that they're trying to go get in the trailer, that thing? <laughs> I'm just saying, let me this way. I would be okay if this next season of Discovery, a 10-episode season, didn't deal with something that impacts all of us here on planet Earth. I mean, the Alpha Quadrant and the Beta Quadrant, you know, which is going to be a metaphor for all of us in one planet. Like, let's just have not end of times. It doesn't need to be an end of times threat this season on Discovery. That's all. Uh, it's It's... Not yet. Um, <laughs> I'm. I mean, listen. It. It can't until it is every season. I'm. I'm not trying to be silly. Like, Star Trek's kind of always done that. That there should be great stakes. Um, on the panel participants. Um, we mentioned it the other day. Anthony Rapp is a witness right now in the New York-based trial against Kevin Spacey. Rapp having really blown the lid off what Kevin Spacey did uh, for years and years and years, going all the way back to his assault um, when he was 18 on Broadway. And I, I get it. Like... Some people are currently in production. Um, Toronto's not terribly far away. He's he's here. He's doing this. He found it. He found time to go to the Javits Center and and do this. Dude is a champ. Um, I can't recognize his commitment here 
enough with what he's gone through and what he's going through. I think you are so wise to point that out that, you know, fine. He happens to be in town. So let's call him up and say, go do a panel. Like, no, no, it's no. super easy. I'm in a trial right now. Yeah. No, what does he do? And, and maybe that's his, his outlet. I don't know. I, I cannot be, uh, grateful enough for this man in our Star Trek that he's doing this. And I'm not, please understand, I'm not shooting shade, okay? Sonequa Martin-Green is in Toronto. For all we know, she had a call that day, okay? Um, she was on the set. So, you know, that's its own thing, okay? But Anthony Rapp putting in the time in the building to do this, that's that's next level. Uh, and by the way, Pete, it was noted on uh, cross-examination by the Spacey lawyers that Anthony Rapp didn't completely remember the way the apartment was. So oh, I don't think <laughs> 35 years ago when he was 14. Um, so I how about this? I think Anthony Rapp putting himself out there in the name of doing the right thing. And I'm not saying uh, New York Comic Con was the right thing at all. I'm saying going out there and naming naming uh, someone who's who's done a horrible thing and you know speaking to it in a courtroom and all of that. Uh, I'll echo also what you said, Pete. I hope that for him to be able to set that aside and put on put on the the I'm sure he's genuine when he's on stage, but kind of the stage persona of now feed off the audience and now let's show a clip and kind of to to put on that that end of things to put on you know actor Anthony Rapp for a little bit. Um, hopefully that was some some consolation and solace there as he focuses on more important things. Star Trek Discoveries become this super fashionable thing to knock. Um, the the thing that is that now has footage of a fifth season, Matt, that's, you know, not going to happen. That's been canceled yet again, on and on and on. Oh, they, they went from 13, 15 to 14 to 13 to 13. Now they're only doing 10 episodes. Yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely done. Um, it is the reason we have all this Star Trek right now, bar none. And this cast in particular, what they have dealt with, put up with, endured, and preserved through needs to be recognized. All this Star Trek is here because they, you know, they blazed this modern Star Trek um, trail, and uh, we'll certainly see what the fifth season has in store. It was interesting, Pete, that no date was announced. You know, we've talked many times across Marvel, Star Trek, and Star Wars how you know there's there's undoubtedly an argument to not have the audience be thinking too far down the road you know how many people have oh i don't know throw a date here you know um i don't know how many people have the the date of uh the kang avengers movie tattooed on their heart no uh marvel wants you thinking about how next month is black panther and then maybe there'll be a post-credit scene that has you think about uh, the next movie after that, but yeah, it's kind of like those are the limits there. Thinking head to February for Ant Man and the Wasp. Uh, similarly, I, maybe that's the argument. Let's not give a date for 
discovery because we want you to have thinking of a date which is kind of far off for february for picard um and, and then strange new worlds would be in the torpedo tube afterward yeah i mean so i think you're looking late spring at the earliest i think it's kind of silly for a tv show not a film that's not a marvel thing or not a star wars thing to announce a fifth season so far out we'll we'll get it when they have you know that time i'm I'm sure they've got it figured out what they're doing they would appear to be about um 80 percent uh filmed at this point picard season three will wrap on uh pete on the april 20th uh, i don't know how some people will perhaps celebrate that day on the 420 um but again that's just to give you a sense here we sit you know pre-halloween thinking about a date that's closer to may 1st than not um and that's just your picard run so yeah i totally and that, yes as you said pete uh, stranger world season two is in the can so whether there's some overlap there or whatever it might be you know discovery is summer late summer at the earliest so i guess that's why pete we little discovery that is the spark that you know lit the flame for discovery picard lower decks prodigy strange new worlds and whatever else that's come in the future that it gets kind of sandwiched in between the the two more razzle dazzle portions of the star trek universe panel at new york comic-con so i guess i'm okay with it from that regard but pete do you remember when th there's going to be a new star trek show and it's going to be discovery like i guess on that regard i feel like it's it could have gotten a little bit more razzle dazzle but it is what it is and then you have star trek prodigy matt which i didn't know until she tweeted the other day uh jamila jamil our titania is now a part of yeah um it was great i know i know last year in the um kind of squarely covid era new york comic-con presentation which is to say it was in person but it was also with um kind of you know a number of limitations including uh you know how many people could be there and all that jazz i know that they did have an in-person panel but i think they they the prodigy folks really were reveling in you know having a full house and having a full cast up there and being able to really celebrate this show that so many people love yeah so she'll be playing ensign uh Ascensia. uh we can only assume this is a member of uh actual Janeway's crew here as they get set for the second half of season one later this month. Well, I think that covers everything Pete top to bottom. So let's head into the mission briefing. Program complete. Enter when ready. Previously on the Cerritos was being chopped up ahead of peanut hamper saving the day. Except no, she's going to pass. Sucks to be organic. Cut to Peanut Hamper beaming into the debris and seeing Rutherford's shuttle going into the enemy ship. Then the big guy died. Now there are more Pakleds. But look, the Titan. Hey, save me. Well, someone will be by soon enough. We get the Lower Decks title card with sad and slow credits as Peanut Hamper drifts and drifts. What a lovely view. Peanut Hamper flies along and along, marking the days that she's been alone. What about the needs of the me? She's got a Wilson-type Sophia. She's got some dilithium, enough to get up to 0.2 or 0.3. But she's not 
going to send a distress call to Starfleet. She would just get court-martialed. Time to get out of here. But then a Drugmani scavenger ship arrives, and it's time for Peanut Hamper to hit warp. And she does for a bit. Then it all falls apart. She crashes, ending up on a very alien planet. The space box has awoken. They are bird people who live there, and she's been rebuilding her power for days. He is Kaltoris of Ariori, and she is there courtesy of Destiny. His knife cleans her, and he wants to restore her. She's taken around, and all the owl folk see her, but she is feared, not hated. They're not used to off-worlders. They have never heard of the Federation. You're the first visitor. A kid gives her a stick, and she gives back candy. It's just a replicator. Jeez. They're ready to break her apart, but she is saved. Son Roda wonders if a machine can be alive. However, surely you are not questioning the judgment of your father, the current village leader, and the name isn't Raw Dog. Personal log, she's stuck with the hillbilly birds as she shoots tennis balls, and she might give a distress call to get out of there. But Raw is ready to teach her. All animals have wings. He's making something out of straw and, shush, sky snake. Hiding over, let us milk the sky goat. But wait, father has been bitten by a sky snake. It is the great circle. Goodbye. But she's got anti-venom, with vitamins too. It's called science. Time passes and folks are so happy. She even got worms out of a dude's feces. Hooray! In the egg hut, only a few survive, but she blasts them with heat, and all 36 hatchlings hatch. She's incredible. Rhoda and Peanut Hamper fly, loving the beauty. Sing for me, Rhoda. And now there was more singing. On a mountaintop, this is where Rhoda hides. He's not perfect after all. She knows what pressure is like, too. They're on the same wavelengths. It's time for intimacy. And it's beautiful. Rhoda feels so alive. He feels like he's been lied to all his life. They enter a cave where relics of ancestors are hidden. Their ancestors were spacefarers. And it brought pain. There are flying ships. Good news. She hasn't been breaking the Prime Directive. Now, technology is forbidden. But this is wrong, for Peanut Hamper is good. Yet Peanut Hamper has been bad, for he has betrayed her original tree, that of Starfleet. Time passes, and it's time for a marriage of Rada and Peanut Hamper. Time for a few words of love, but... Drukmani scavengers, eep. A shuttle launches and lands. They have scanned for valuable materials, the ancient ships. They claim salvage and beam up. A tractor beam ravages the trees. Nothing can be done. But Peanut Hamper can do something. Cut to the Cerritos receiving a distress signal. It's time for the Cerritos to help. Someone must get on the ship and not be detected, and she'll do it. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And she's Starfleet. Above, the Cerritos sees the Drukmani, and they're ready to fire. But Peanut Hamper is ready to save the day. She boards the ship, knocking folks out, and the engines are overloading. Rhoda sees the Drukmani ship crashing. No, but Peanut has survived, and the Cerritos crew has beamed down. Don't worry, they know about Starfleet, and if Peanut Hamper wouldn't have gotten involved, they would all be dead. Captain Freeman saw how selfless she was, and now Peanut Hamper knows love and sacrifice. She needs to dedicate herself to Starfleet, if they'll have her. Freeman thinks they can give her another chance. And is there any room for a loving husband? After all, with her, anywhere can be paradise. But the Jukmani have transported to the Aore ship, and it's loaded to the teeth. The trees are on fire. The Cerritos is fired upon, and there was a message that the Drukmani have that said that they could take the ships without a fight, and they recorded it too. It was Peanut Hamper saying that they could take whatever from these lame tree farmers. She had a whole plan to make things look like she was a redemptive hero. OMG Raw Dog, grow a beak. Here come the waterworks. 
but won't Peanut Hamper save the day? Nope, smell you later. A tree falls on her. Above the planet, it's ship versus ship time. The Cerritos is hit bad with the weapons cutting through the shields. Suddenly a giant ship rises, and it's Rawda for the flock. Rawda blasts the much smaller ship once, twice, until it's blasted out of the sky. Later, Rawda has saved the day and says that they will turn their backs on fear, and he's ready to leave. But Peanut Hamper is back, and she was trying to teach him that all along. Whatever, let's beam out, Captain. No? Well, whatever. She sh should have called the Borg. Resistance is futile. She is sent to the robot prison from last season. It is self-aware megalomaniacal computer storage, and Jeffrey Combs's Agamus is back. He thinks they could do awful things together. They both cackle. Welcome to Daystrom Prison. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start in multiple ways with the Drukmani scavengers. To have them be the thing that forces Peanut Hamper to wind up on uh, Aerialis, and then later on to have her reach out to them so that she can con Starfleet into accepting her back because uh the terrible thing she thinks and says about uh the Arior, yeah just delicious it is and, and i rather like we essentially have the Jukmani scavengers showing up as a threat three different times there's the the very beginning where it's like oh no now i need to leave so it's a spark for her to get out of her current predicament then of course it's them attacking the planet and then the Drukmani are a threat to peanut hamper's lie which is a whole lot of work to do in 25 minutes um then of course pete we must now talk about peanut hamper as a threat i know i read an article um might have been inverse i don't remember but there's a lot of like we felt so, but this episode so unique in its presentation made us feel so sad for Peanut Hamper, then so inspired by Peanut Hamper, then it ends up being a nanny nanny poo poo joke that she's just been scamming everybody and she's back to the way she was in the beginning. Like, I'm along for this the entire ride uh -huh. of this episode, both in its unique construct, and I don't know that halfway through I was. I was keeping track of the fact that Peanut Hamper has already shown herself to be selfish and manipulative. And the fact that the show got that over on me, um, to me, added to the joy of it. Not, you know, well, she didn't yeah. show any growth. Like, this is a... Uh, no, it did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, it really did show growth. Um, and that it's obscured, that it's got to be revealed by the Drupmani um in the most unusual star trek lower decks and there's been plenty of unusual episodes to date you know from the you know departure of the ordinary credit sequence to the tag at the end here and what that potentially sets up if only because peanut hamper is a threat matt we're we're talking seriously about a character named Peanut Hamper, which, by the way, is mathematically perfect. Okay. Uh, she told us so herself. And now, you know, a character brought back, we all wanted to see brought back, and the two of them uniting here 
at the end, like, I just want to fast forward and, and watch their next appearance. Yeah. I mean, there are plenty of Star Trek episodes that are, let's say, entirely self-contained. Obviously, TOS and Next Generation um, coming from the tradition of kind of episodic episodes. But you know, I think of uh, Cause and Effect as very self-contained. I think of, you know, Riker is trapped in the mental uh institute and is it real or is it a you know like like all of that those kind of self-contained episodes um this is just you know th- th- this is a really weird episode that makes us care for a bunch of things mm-hmm. this is squarely a little bit of a reminder that like lower decks is tweens and teens and adults and not meant for the youngest eyes as there is in the best possible way <laughs> it is uh I, I we'll just recap both in the name of the planet and also um the the the, the name sure. of the, the elder here cal Taurus. um even mispronouncing raw as raw dog like it, I mean, this is Pete. Is this a mathematically perfect uh, Star Trek Lower Decks in that it is weird and wacky and a bigger scale than you could do in live action? And because it's 25 minutes, you don't mind that you know everybody who we care about in the show are all minor supporting characters. Oh, and there's a certain point where a bird man and a robot share physical intimacies. Like, is this the perfect use of the Lower Decks, you know? I- boxo tools it it may be it may be they may have in the writer's room uh you know perfected the uh pythagorean theorem here when it comes to uh half hour star trek comedy um the sky snake matt (laughs) and of course peanut hamper as our you know uh erstwhile protagonist for much of this episode pointing out well you know if everything on your planet flies wouldn't it just be a snake um yeah. like the pigs like the goats all of which have beaks yeah um it's just i mean i was surprised when i recorded the recap i was surprised by how long the recap was um and i mean perhaps that's helped because there's not you know an a plot or a and b where you kind of compound uh or combine things and whatnot but there's just so much story here there's so much journey here i think we also never lose track of the fact that peanut hamper is a jerk to these people like we kind of lose track moment to moment but i'm just looking back here you know they've never heard of the federation and she's dropping the f-bomb because these are all you know backwater folks and so forth like it does so very much in so few minutes um, and then still is funny. Like I'm just forever going to look back at this episode and think of how happy that guy was that there weren't worms in his stool anymore. And everything was now <laughs> back to what was the line? Like oily and white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like it's just, you got a bird poop joke in our star Trek and it's hysterical and it's also used as a point of building character and story, yeah. you know, the fears of this show, the still knock on it is, Oh, it's potty humor. No, <laughs> it's, it's thoughtful. Star Trek. 
uh, canonical potty humor. Thank you very much. And I mean, look, let's not forget too. And I don't remember the episode title, but like there is that really weird third season TOS episode where Kirk goes to live with the native American aliens. And like, they kind of yada yada through like, Oh, and he's there for four months while he doesn't remember who he is. And then when he does remember he leaves and, but it's like Kirk is gone for four months. Um, so that that's this kind of episode too, where you know time is passing by. There's just there's so much in here. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they drew any kind of inspiration from that. And then you cap this all off by bringing back Jeffrey Combs' Agamus in the perfect spot here at the Daystrom Institute in the. Uh, <laughs> uh, self-aware megalomaniacal computer storage area complete with the cbs logo uh, uh you know uh self-aware evil computer um yeah like again it makes total sense it also in an episode that by and large shuts the door on like us wanting more peanut hamper or that kind of thing it now immediately is like oh no we're going to do a third one. We're going to stick with this, and it might be next season, but we're going to stick with it. Um, on the topic of Agamus, was it shown in the Agamus episode? Was it said in the Agamus episode that they were at the Daystrom Institute? I don't yes. remember. Oh, yeah. Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I could th- certainly, when I saw the exterior, I'm like, that's what they've shown in Picard and all of that. So it's just, I mean, what a what an episode to think that we have the Drukmani threat, the peanut hamper threat, the sky snake threat, and the Agamus threat all in one episode. It's just insane. Let's use our long-range sensors to scan for theories about an episode that's largely self-contained and find there might be a sequel to it, but... Pete, where do you want to begin in an episode where most of the characters that we like are hardly in it? Well, that they tell us in the credits they're there um, in this very different credit sequence that we've ever had uh, for this show. And, you know, most of the way through the episode, I'm like, all right, did they have to tell us that because they were in the extended previously on which kind of became the beginning of the episode, the teaser, if you will. Um, I think it's a good question. I think that (laughs) heaven helped the person that was like, all right, I've heard about this funny, sometimes crude, but really heartfelt, the star Trek cartoon. Let me try it here. And all of a sudden there's like, no, there's essentially no star Trek traditional looking star trek in it for two-thirds of the episode um yeah i you know what i think not only were the credits important to hammer home that you know our our characters are there they're just not in it right now um there were some just really lovely visuals there like they the show leaned into let's make this artistically beautiful if we have to if we kind of have to do credits from scratch uh let's make it lovely that we have the coupling (laughs) 
the question of the <clears throat> compatibility uh, between an Aerior and an Exacom. Matt, maybe the only thing that could make the return of Peanut Hamper and Agabus, and I, I want to see the breakout, okay? I, I need to see that happen on screen. It can't just be... And, you know, uh, open um, hailing frequencies. Oh, my God. Agamus and Peanut Hamper are near the Cerritos. No, I, I need to see uh, a file snuck into a computer cake or, or something that happens at the Daystrom Institute and all the hilarious possibilities there. But, Matt, I want to float now the very real possibility that um peanut hamper is with half baby half uh computer child and that that could be a thing in their next appearance um i have more questions than answers <laughs> but i think that if any star trek show is going to be able to address that it's squarely lower decks um, I mean, heck, I could even see like, just like, you know, but scientifically, this doesn't make sense, says a doctor. <laughs> and I can see Peanut Hamper going, it's a real thing. Get over it. Move on, you know. <laughs> um, and then then we as the audience would go, oh, okay, got it. You, you're not even going to feign a sci-fi answer. You're just telling us it's it has happened and now, now that's the case. Um, and Agamus is raising it as his own. Uh, and yeah, no, it could be really, really funny. And like I said, I, I just want to fast forward to when their next appearance is. I doubt it's this season. Uh, Peanut Hamper, an unreliable Starfleet officer to be sure. Um, but Peanut Hamper says kind of since there was warp technology on the planet mm -hmm. therefore there's not a prime directive violation pete does it work like um michael scott declaring bankruptcy is it just a thing <laughs> where like they had warp because i feel like that's and look the prime directive uh obviously the least prime directive in that everybody bends it all the time but i feel like it's not in the spirit of the prime directive to be like well they used to have it therefore they are in perpetuity a warp culture I think it works. Um, you know, when that happened, I felt they story proofed themselves against the criticism. Well, you're going to have her put a Starfleet badge back on and tout the benefits of Federation, yada, yada. And, and then the double agent nature of it. No, I, you know, outed you guys as having this technology so that I could look better and be brought back. Um, yeah, it, it all checks out within the course of the story. And again, that the writers that the showrunner here are so thoughtful and know their Star Trek so well and the tropes and everything like that yet are able to give us something new. I mean, Matt, she refers to the Arior as the poor man's Aurelians. We've already had an Aurelian on Star Trek Lower Decks, the animated uh, series flying creatures and not have to do that and let them be their own thing here 
including an entire world where everything has wings and evidently beaks. Um, I mean, if that is also in the department of story proofing in terms of like, it's another bird species that's some of the first bird species. First of all, anybody who has complaints about that, go back and look at classic Trek where completely different aliens, which are human looking, or, you know, it now enterprise with, you know, um, the Zindi arc and the, the one extinct group that were avians. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the fiction in science fiction is whatever you want it to be. And then you just need to back it up a little bit. And the notion that there's, you know, multiple avian species out there it suits the episode and if that's what's if that's what's bothering you about this episode then yeah maybe lower decks isn't for you but um yeah i think it's this is just such a welcome story and now has me thinking like okay season season uh four like you know will they do another standalone episode whether it's a peanut hamper or not um i know pete i have seen probably less than two minutes of rick and morty ever and you've seen a great deal of it i know there are some very very well regarded standalone episodes that are just moving and amazing kind of in that in that ilk i would i would welcome lower decks to take big weird swings again in the future matt the ant-man and uh the wasp quantumania writer okay jeff loveness uh came through um rick and morty Okay, and now he's going to be doing uh, the the Kang um, film, the Avengers film. Okay, like, yeah, again, there are super smart people that are writing the shows in terms of how they treat character, in terms of how they treat story. Um, And Luminous is at the, you know, forefront of that. His Rick and Morty episodes are so distinct are uh so solid in terms of story and then in almost the golden ratio in terms of how they use things and then the heart um so yeah i for one can't wait to see what he does with marvel particularly that he's been given two super high profile things both dealing with kang Okay, which is the direction that it's all going in. And, you know, with Mike McMahon, a guy who's worked with him and all that he's done now with Star Trek, just taking it and run with it that, you know, you go to an avian species because it's animation. And what would look the stupidest if you tried to do it in, you know, practical effects? It, it works. Okay, yeah, we'll draw the birds and, you know, we'll play around with bird tropes and everything like that. Um, I only hope that we'll get a return of uh, Rada, uh, that it can be part of, you know, maybe he joins Starfleet. Uh, Maybe he's an ambassador, whatever it is, whether it's connected or unrelated to the return of Peanut Hamper and Agamus. Well, so wise that you mention Mike McMahon's name. I mean, to just think, you know, Pete, we have nothing but admiration for Alex Kurtzman and the the Star Trek leadership. But to think that Discovery in, 
you know, in four seasons is on there. I know we're looking at the fifth season, but through the fourth season, we're on the third configuration of um, people running the show. Um, okay, that has been what that has been. You know, Picard, Michael Chabon, less and less involved as the show has moved away from season one. Just point being, these people kind of, there's been a certain degree of people kind of coming and going from Star Trek um, in the other series versus like Lower Decks. There's Mike McMahon. Uh, there he is also, Pete. Um, the uh, Solar Opposites show on Hulu, which I had tried out the first episode, kind of wasn't for me. Maybe I bounced too soon. I don't know. But that's now been renewed. It's in this third season. It's been renewed for a fourth and a fifth season. Like, point is, the guy can do two different shows at the same time. The guy can work for two different studios at the same time. Seems to me, you know, if 10 years from now, Mike McMahon is still involved in Star Trek, whether it's um, animation or live action, whether he's in charge of just one more modest show or whether he's you know co-executive producer across all the shows or he's working under Kurtzman or whatever it is this is a guy who is who loves his Star Trek and isn't going anywhere um anytime soon yeah he's done wonders I really really respect what this show has become um and then you know peanut hampers return here <laughs> and have the Drukmani out her oh we've got a recording let's play it back referring to uh the area or as tree kissing farmers <laughs> yeah it is it is such a wild ride pete what else do you have for theories just the way in which she goes at rada uh oh here he goes this guy cries at everything including after we're together intimately and like she has no low and that's why pairing her with agamus i think is going to bring out the best of both worlds there mad if only badgie could somehow come back uh either in that episode or just on his own. Um, it, it, it's funny that we would pine for these these villains. You know, the original series had the Klingons and the Romulans, and then you know you had the Borg with the Next Generation. And yeah, what does Lower Decks have? They have uh, an evil Exocomp. They have uh, surprise in Star Trek um a, a uh overlord computer that's uh you know they take straight from the tropes uh of enslaving societies and then they have an out of control ai that may or may not still be floating around out there well let's add to that the season two villains the pack lids mm -hmm. literally the dumbest mm -hmm. villains literally the dumbest villains in the history of star trek so you look at that list and you say, what, what is this show? It is a beautiful thing. With that, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. We go to Twitter, Pete, where we ran the following poll. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with this one, too. Kaka uh, this week's Star Trek Lower Decks takes to the sky. So let your bird song sound as you rate this unique tale. Uh, the lowest option, Pete, scrambled eggs got zero percent uh the, the chick emoji barely hatched got 4.8 percent 
Two Owls, Wise Storytelling, 19%. And then Three Eagles, High Flyer, got 76.2%. Some replies here. Jackie Wolf on Twitter says, I wanted to not like it, and I'm desperate for more of Rutherford's story. But this was very entertaining, so I'll allow it. Plus, any Jeffrey Combs cameo is a good cameo, no matter how small. Uh, next tweeter at law, KCLYLE1 on Twitter said, Can you imagine someone in 1968 imagining that one day Star Trek would have a story like this? Uh, it's just, it's baffling. I couldn't look away. People would have assumed that Gene was doing the drugs again. Uh, tweeter at law says, Great episode. I've been waiting for Peanut Hamper to come back, but this is not what I would have dared to expect. Well done, Lower Decks. Uh, Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC 139 says, I didn't know I needed a story about the continuing adventures of Peanut Hamper, but I'm glad I got one, especially with it ending in the self-aware megalomaniacal computer storage facility. Peanut Hamper nestled between 10111 and Lord Agamus. I was taken on an emotional ride. I didn't like Peanut Hamper, then I started rooting for her redemption. Then I was taken aback by her romance with, Pete, I quote Spider-Ham Lincoln here, Raw Dog. <laughs> then I started cheering for her as she selflessly acted to save her new community on Areolus and was brought full circle to not liking her again, uh, exactly as they wanted. Uh, then Pete, summarizing this episode pretty well, Diana Bodenberg, that's at Diana B4425550, Diana says, wow, just, um, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Is, is this the episode to show somebody to pull them into lower decks? No, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't it be? Um, I think because it's not representative of what the show is, um, but it's representative. I mean, again, it's kind of like, do you say, hey, let's watch Star Trek Next Generation. In this one, the ship is empty and the captain does die hard. It's a great episode. It's just not, it's not indicative of the whole. Um, but um, Pete, all that feedback, people very, very enthusiastic about, uh, about this episode from top to bottom. Yes. And enthusiastic about us for some reason, Matt, are the people of patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Indeed, Pete. So proud to be listener-supported as we continue on this podcasting journey, as we get ready to to rest our voices for a little bit before we talk Werewolf at Night, Werewolf by Night tomorrow night, um, Werewolf by Night at Night. Think about that. That's just... Uh, Pete, we better podcast in black and white. But uh, our thanks, as always, to those who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. But Pete, let's keep the Star Trek conversation going because we have three more star trek lower decks so how can people be in touch with you to talk about the show you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-l-a-r-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 12,764 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter as looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram and gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait pete there's more Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P and the H. Like it today. As mentioned, we'll be talking Werewolf by Night tomorrow and then starting, Pete, if you could believe it, the last week of three podcasts a weekend. Um, I don't know what we're going to do with our spare time. Perhaps return to 
family and so forth? I don't know, but uh, we'll certainly keep that going and back next Star Trek Sunday for the next episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all listeners and give you the final word. What about the needs of the me? She never fails to take my breath away. I wish I could kiss her and squeeze her. Excuse me?